Good morning. Good morning. Gosh, it's good to see everybody. Uh, this has uh, been a real treat for me that Tim asked me to, to uh, speak today. And I was looking back on my calendar the last time I was here. I was here in March of 19, and then I was here in June of 19. So I don't know if I've had a chance to meet you all or you've heard me speak, but it's great to be back. In June of 19, I asked Shauna if she would do a little preaching because I wanted to do a little singing. And we did, and it took three years for you to ask me back. So, <laughs> but I will not sing today, but uh, every time I come here, there's a feeling here at Sherwood Bedford that's special. It's really special. This morning at 9.30, um, when I got here, I mean, you love me so well when I walk through the door. And I know sometimes, you know, you just want to hear Tim, maybe, but... Uh, we're giving Tim a break this week, and uh, I'm just thrilled to be here. So uh, for those of you who can stand, I'd like for you to stand, and we're going to read together from the Word of the Lord. So I want you to follow along with me on the screen and read what's underlined, and I'll read the rest. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God... Uh, does not whoever does not love does not know God because God is love this is how God showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him this is love not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins dear friends since God loved us so we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, if you were wondering what I was going to be speaking on today, it's probably pretty obvious, love. We're in week 33 of the Core 52 book, and the verse I'm looking at today is the one we just read. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In 1965, Burt Bacharach and Hal David wrote a song, and it was called what the world needs now is love, sweet love. The lyrics of those, that song went like this. And a lot of you probably remember it. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. If that song was relevant then, it's even more relevant now. The world is hurting and in need of healing. People are hurting and in need of healing more now than ever. It seems that our world is void of love, and we see it in the current events in the world, even from the Academy Awards to the U.S. leadership debates, and sometimes even in our community. That song, What the World Needs Now, 
is love is 57 years old. It's so ironic that that song title and the verse we have this morning really do mirror each other in so many ways. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, which is the love that the world needs now, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, which is the hope that the world needs an eternal home in heaven. As I minister on the college campus of Indiana University, I challenge students whom I have the privilege to walk with to always have a response to whatever the topic is. So for today, as I would ask them, what is your response to that passage? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The world needs our love. Our leaders need our love. Our community needs our love. Our workplaces need our love. Your family needs your love. And the church, it needs to be the source of that love. And everything should start within the churches across the country. I think we could easily break this down into three important things I want you to be challenged by today, respond to, and hopefully take action on. And those three things are this. How do I respond as a follower of Christ to model his love in my daily life? And number two, how is the church responding to be a conduit of that love? And number three, how do I respond personally? How do you respond personally to Jesus' never-ending love for you. In my 25 minutes, I hope to bring you closer to embracing the love of Christ and to use his model to love others well. It's a non-negotiable if we profess to be followers of Christ. So in the passage that we read, God so loved the world, not just some, but everyone, and if we're truthful with ourselves, this is difficult to accept because in our minds, not everyone deserves God's love. But that's simply a lie. The truth of the matter is we don't deserve his love, but he gives it freely if we will accept it. Because of that grace given to us, we have no other choice but to love others well as he loved us. You know, we have this incredible book, the Bible. It can be described in many, many ways, but it truly is a love story between God and his people. And although we're followers of Christ and we, we follow Jesus and we model Jesus from the New Testament, we can embrace the Old Testament because it's an amazing book of history. We garner the wisdom books, but the takeaway from the Old Testament is a reoccurring theme. God loved his people, he provided for them, they strayed away from him, but because he loved them, he continued to rescue them over and over and over. His people never fully understood a life of obedience to him, and under the old law, we would have failed miserably. Thankfully, that's behind us, and we don't have to go back to a time before he showed his ultimate love to us by sending his son to take on the pain of our inequities. As I mentioned, I work with college students, 
students from different faith upbringings, different demographics, and influences. And one of the most asked questions the past couple of years has been about heaven and hell. So in the passage we read, this eternal life seems pretty easy. But they have a lot of questions about heaven. What would that be like? And hell, is it real? So here's some things I want you to think about that I get to share with them. And uh, it's from my own personal perspective. It's from my study. It's a challenge that I want to put before them and I like to put before others. So hear me out on some of this here. Hell is a reality here on earth if one chooses that. Hell is the rejection of love, grace, and forgiveness. And you know, if those are void in your life, you are probably in a living hell. But in contrast, heaven is for those who have accepted the love of Christ, his forgiveness, and his grace. And hear me out on this one, and this is what I caution my students, and it's really a part of the core of my message here today, is that you and I, we, the church, need to be living our lives preparing for heaven. Because I want to go to a place where I fit in. Everyone wants to fit in. You want to fit in. So we need to prepare and embrace everything that God has prepared for us. I believe if one life, one's life even committed to Christ is filled with anger, judgment, hate, lies, you might experience a tough heaven. If we don't prepare well, what will that be like? What will heaven truly be like? You know, if I don't prepare for a test, I'm not going to get a very good grade. If I travel to a foreign country, I have to prepare for what I'm going to take, what the culture might present that I need to be aware of, how to approach people who might not understand my language and the do's and don'ts of that society. If I don't prepare for heaven, I may struggle to receive the blessing. So how do I respond as a follower of Christ to modeling his love in my daily life? This was good for me because if I'm going to stand up here and talk about it, I need to really think about it. So as I challenge you, know that I'm challenging me. We need to prepare today for the rest of our earthly lives and the secret is what Jesus made sure his followers understood. And that was the greatest commandment. And you know what? It hasn't changed one bit. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And I love this. Jesus then told them, do this and you will live. Love God love others. Is that simple? No. It's incredibly difficult because this world is distracting you and me from what is lasting and what truly matters. God's definition, in my opinion, of what matters is pretty straightforward. This is one of the takeaways I want you to have today. I believe that God measures our lives by how we love. How well are you doing in that area? How are you loving God? 
how do we even accomplish this in our busy life? Prayer is the mark of a lover. Those who deeply love Jesus can't help but pray often. Is your relationship with God a priority? You have to pray. Only through prayer can we solidify this love affair we need with Jesus. If you say, well, I don't think that's going to work for me, then I would say, when was the last time you really carved out time to try? I take my college students sometimes out into the middle of nowhere. There is no cell phones, there is no traffic, there is no noise, there's only birds, wind in the trees, and a time to experience prayer, talking to Jesus, sharing their lives, their concerns, and their adoration for all he has provided. Is that difficult? Yes. Is it a discipline? Yes. A step towards understanding heaven and truly following Jesus? Absolutely. So how well are you loving others? Are your thoughts daily looking for ways to bless others? Do you think of people who could use your words of encouragement and call them or text them? When was the last time you bought lunch for somebody just because they are a part of your life? Those all seem to be part of following Christ. We're called to encourage one another. We're called to be generous. We are called to serve one another. I believe Jesus wants us to love so much that we go to extremes to help them. You know, there's many verses in the Bible where Jesus tells us to do a self-examination of our lives to see where we fall on the love meter. And since we are confined by time, I'll address only one, and I think it's one of the toughest ones. Jesus says in Luke 6, 27 through 30, But to those who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So when we read this, we have to ask ourselves one question. Am I really willing to listen to Jesus and apply this to my life? You know, this isn't easy, not for anybody. I don't know who you consider to be your enemies, but if everyone is honest, everyone's got a list. And people got on your list for some reason. They mistreated you. They hurt you. They betrayed you. They lied to you. Maybe these people didn't have the same beliefs you have. And there's a list of reasons that can go on and on and on. But you know what? Jesus is not concerned about who's on your list and why. Because we're to love them. I'm not saying this is easy and like you, it's a struggle. But I know this is true. If we are going to follow Jesus and live and love like Jesus, this challenge to love our enemies cannot be ignored. In this hurting world that God so loved, we need to embrace this passage, not look at it as an optional part of following Christ. 
Some reasons for struggling to love our enemies is because it seems to be like a rule, and we often don't like following rules. Last week, I spoke in Bloomington, so I used a hypothetical that I think you'll like. Uh, I said, this is a hypothetical. The city announces a mask ordinance, and because we don't like that rule, the mayor has become our enemy. And maybe, and this is just a hypothetical, there are over five, 500 Facebook posts from people, even followers of Christ, claiming the mayor is our enemy. Just a hypothetical. But do we do that often? Think about in the political arena. If we're on one side or the other, is the other an enemy? I think we can look at that differently. We don't always have to agree. But Jesus said, if you're following me, we're to love. Jesus wasn't teaching us a rule to be obeyed here. He was teaching us an attitude of the heart. It wasn't a legal duty Jesus was teaching. Jesus was concerned about our hearts. He was looking for us to have compassionate hearts to people all around us, period. He wants us to love our enemies the same way he loved us. And you know what? We could have all very well been on his list. At times we've lied. At times we've betrayed him. We've ignored him. We've mistreated him. All these times we could have been on God's list, but he chose to love us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So how is the church responding to being a conduit of his love? You know, we're a consumer world, and in recent research, the church is often viewed as a place to consume, nothing more. Andy Stanley touched on it when he addressed why churches are half empty. And this is way before the pandemic. Francis Chan dangled out there his frustration with the direction of the church in his book called Letters to the Church. I'll share with you their frustrations because they're real and they're legitimate. But I'm also going to tout you all. I'm really going to tout you all. I believe that Sherwood Bedford is doing everything in its power to combat that perception that keep people from stepping into the church. But I want to share with you a few of the observations. I think you'll like to hear what their research says. And it's one area that across the nation, churches could work harder on. One thing was the mission of the church is not clear, and that makes it difficult to become an active participant. You know, today, though, we have more Bible knowledge than ever before. It's so accessible through the Internet. Why don't we embrace it? Why don't we use it? Some say the messages are void of love and compassion, and they're irrelevant. Church consumers are picky. They need this type of personality to preach and this style of worship to please them. Church consumers want to show up, be fed, want their children to be fed, want their friends to be fed. You know, we're in the top 5% of the world's wealthiest societies and we're consumed by wanting more. You got to step back to see it. 
but it's there. And although it's painful to hear those things, it's possible the decline of church attendance across the country could be those needing genuine love aren't feeling it in the church. Things like lights, camera, action, but lacking in love and compassion. We want to bring people into a true understanding of a life following Christ. Now, I say all that, and I wrestle with it. I wrestle with it a lot. But I have to remember, there's a love filter to put everything through and ask this question, is my church loving well? Am I loving well? Having said that, I'm so proud of Sherwood Oaks. I'm proud of our many sister churches in Bloomington that I see embrace love and take that love outside into the community. Look at the things you do here in Bedford. Look at the things that churches do in Bloomington to love people that are hurting. It's an incredible challenge. Churches could do more. Be a church on mission to love others, to be striving to impact lives with caring hearts and generosity. I am going to share with you a letter I got two weeks ago now from one of my former college students. He's endured a lot of issues, depression, a failed marriage, a debilitating accident, but he writes this to me. Carrie, depression has deep roots in my family. A lot of willingness to push things down, a lack of willingness to talk about issues, to face small conflicts and difficult days. I spent countless hours in therapy. From that point forward, I took antidepressants for several years and I got support. It's something I'll always watch for in my life. I had some amazing support during that time. One of the greatest struggles, though, was that I had built, or thought I had built, a strong church community, too. But when I needed help, there was almost no support from anyone involved with the church. They disappeared into the fog quicker than I did. I battle with that to this day. Why was the church so far from the life displayed by Jesus? Why were those with no affiliation to the church so much more likely to open their arms and say, we love you, than people of the church? You have to know how hard that was for me to read, because I love the church. But the truth of the matter is, he's our neighbor. He's our neighbor. And we're called to love our neighbor. Is life messy? Yes. Should the church be willing to walk with someone through the messes? Yes. Can healing happen? Absolutely. If the world we know ended tomorrow, what would the church be known for today? And it's always amazing to me, too, that someone can attend a church for 20 to 30 years and never disciple anyone. How can that be? Don't you wonder if asked today what God might say he wants the church to look like? Think about that. What would God want the church to look like? I think it might be something like this. I think he wants us to love others so much that we go to extremes. We should look at the church with this analogy. Let's think of a big table and where church is part of being around a great 
big table. At the table, everyone has a story, and everyone's story matters. In our church today, are we looking to see who is sitting beside us or across from us at the table? In the end, we exist to love God, and our love for God is manifested in serving and loving those sitting at the table. Wherever you're at on this journey, there is a place for you at the table. Don't just be a consumer. You will never experience the richness of the feast until you understand your value and your purpose in being there in the first place. I know the table is large. If we had a table, it would have to be a huge table for us all to be around. But love is driving everything as love drove the Son of God to the cross to pay the price for our sins, past and future. He desires to meet you at the table, and he is using us to reflect that love within the room and in our community. Do you recognize where you're sitting and who's beside you? And are you prepared to continue to love like Jesus modeled for us? At the table, we meet Jesus face to face and experience that joy his joy, his peace, his forgiveness, his grace, and most importantly, his love. It's a great challenge, isn't it? And then how do I respond personally to Jesus' never-ending love for me? How do you respond personally to his never-ending love for you? The truth is that when you were 10 years old, life is going at about 10 miles an hour, at 20, things begin to speed up. At 40, wow, things are going quickly. And many of us have hit that speed limit age, one of those. <laughs> and life is going by crazy fast. So you look at your life, this timeline, and if you wait until the right time to refocus your life, you never will. There is never a better time than now to refocus on loving Jesus and modeling his love in the way you love others. There is no drawback. There is no downfall. There is nothing that will impact your life in a negative way. I want this church and I want you to begin to prepare for heaven. And I believe with all my heart, heaven will only be a place of love. You know, I've had some time to think about my life. And when I look at it, I see how he has loved me unconditionally. I'm not always easy to love, asked Julie. But I've come to the realization that I'm on the home stretch. I've been practicing giving away, and it feels really good. This earth and the things here are not where my focus needs to be anymore. I give my key employees the ones that are taking the reins of my business, only one piece of advice. And if you know them, or if you would see them, I believe you would get a consistent answer from them. They would say, Carrie says, love each other, care for each other, and be generous. My message is unwavering. How can I not give my love and devotion to him when I think about my life? What about you? I bet your story is a lot like mine. 
I think about all the times he stood by me in my life, when my life was spiraling out of control. I think about the truth I needed to see when all I could believe were lies. I think about the joy that he brought into my life, my family, my employees, my church, my college men. I think about he, how he loves me when I'm unlovable. I think about how he held me up and he never has let me fall. I think about all the times he gave me words when I couldn't speak, when I officiated a funeral of a child. I think about the strength that he gave me when I was weak, caring for my dying father. I think about the times he was always there for me when no one else was. For all those times he stood by me, for all the truth he made me see, for all the joy he brought into my life, for all the wrongs that he made right, for every dream he made come true, for all the love I found in him, I'll be forever thankful. He's the one who held me up. He's never let me fall. He's the one who saw me through, through it all. He was my strength when I was weak. He was my voice when I could not speak. He was my eyes when I could not see. He, was the, he saw the very best in me. He lifted me up when I couldn't reach. He gave me faith because he believed. I am everything I am because he loved me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life because he loved me, because he loved you. There are no words. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.